Go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. While you're turning, I want to dismiss the kids who are going to be going to Children's Church. They can go ahead and go. And uh, I believe Ziva has said she will pass around the Peterson and Daphne jar. Uh, for those that don't know, for those who are new, Peterson and Daphne are a couple of kids that we sponsor from Haiti. Uh, we do this because one of our core values as a church is uh, missions. We want to make sure the message of the gospel goes out, and we realize that uh, we are not the only ones who can proclaim that. Uh, we also want to help our kids broaden their worldview, and uh, supporting kids their own age helps them to do that. For those that missed it, uh, we had a fantastic Ash Wednesday service this past week. Thank you kindly. It's really heavy. We should probably empty it, huh? Okay. We had a very good Ash Wednesday service this last week, and at that service, I uh, kicked off a 14-week sermon series, seven weeks leading up to Easter, and then seven weeks after leading into a Pentecost. Now, the, the series is titled, With Jesus, With Jesus, and the texts and, uh, and the theme is taken from a devotional called Ashes to Fire. I love that theme of with Jesus because there's something powerful, I told them Wednesday, about being with people. You get to be with people in the everydayness of life, and you also get to be with people in the, the highs and the lows. You get to cry the tears of pain during hard times, and you get to weep the tears of joy during the celebratory times. So our goal this Lenten season is to spend uh, intentional time with Jesus. And one of the ways we're going to do that as a congregation is through reading scriptures together. So hopefully you got a bookmark when you came in. If you didn't, uh, let me know and we'll track one down for you. This has passages of Scripture that we're going to read together over the next, uh, well, this one is just over the next week. Now, for those that don't read with paper, um, if you read on a screen, you can also get these, um, these texts on our website. Uh, or if you tend to forget things, we can text you every day a reminder link that sends you right to the texts. Now, be patient with us on that because there is some technical difficulties. Uh, some people are getting the text. Some people are not. Um, directions for how to do that is in your bulletin. Okay? For today, our journey with Jesus takes us to the time of his temptation in the wilderness. Now, many traditions, Christian traditions, claim that the Lenten season, the, the six weeks leading up to Easter, represent Jesus' time in the wilderness. So it's fitting that we should start our, our first Sunday in Lent with this passage. Before we do, though, I'd like to pray. Let's pray together. Lord God, this is, uh, this is your church, and we're excited to be a part of it. We're excited today to, to hear from you. Uh, we have come and worshiped in song, we've worshiped in community, we've worshiped in giving, and we want to worship in word. Lord, I ask that as we open up your scriptures, we would hear your heart. And I ask, Lord, that in a very uh, real way and in a supernatural way, we would find ourselves spending time with Jesus this morning. I pray this through your Son. Amen. Matthew chapter 4. Verses 1 to 11. Go ahead and follow along with me as I read it in entirety. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. 
But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Verse 8. Then, or next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. I have heard numerous sermons on this passage, and I've done a fair amount of study on these 11 verses. In the time I've studied, in the sermons that I've heard, oftentimes my personal hiccup is it becomes very academic. We start looking at, at the temptations and we look at the deep spiritual significance and how Jesus responded to each of those and, and we have a tendency to disconnect ourselves from the story. So this morning, my goal is not to go academic, but my goal is, since we're wanting to be with Jesus, my goal is to put ourselves into the story and try and taste and touch and see and hear and feel what Jesus would have tasted and touched and heard and felt and seen. You following me? That's my goal this morning. So let's, let's see what happens. Let's see what we experience as we go with Jesus. Verse by verse this morning. Verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Then Jesus was led. Then. Now a word like that obviously points us backwards to the previous verses, and we should take a look at what happened. Now, if you look back, you'll see that was Jesus' baptism. Jesus had gone from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John protested, Jesus insisted, and he got baptized. And when he came up out of the water, it was quite a scene. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son. This is my beloved son who brings me great joy. Oh, man, I wonder what Jesus was feeling at that moment. Was he excited? Was he feeling confirmed in his identity? Was he feeling loved? Was he feeling motivated? I don't know, but what a scene it must have been. So Jesus is baptized, and then... Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then he comes up out of the water. And in Mark's gospel, the, Mark's gospel speaks of the immediacy of what took place next. As Jesus was led out into the wilderness, immediately when he came out of the water, he was led there. So I picture this. I picture Jesus getting dunked and while still dripping wet, being led by the Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God, who just moments before, just breaths before, had descended from out of heaven, had landed on Jesus. I wonder again, what would Jesus have felt at that time? Was it like, whoa, that's new. That's kind of cool, this, this whole Spirit thing. I, I think he's leading me somewhere. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow. 
had Jesus ever experienced the, the Spirit's presence before? I mean, did, did he think back to the times before the world began when, he, when the, the Trinity was hanging out, God the Father and the Spirit and the Son, and did he remember that? Did he ever sense the Spirit's presence when he was a kid, right? Maybe when he stubbed his toe, or maybe when he was swimming, or maybe when he was memorizing his Awana verses with his mother Mary before going to synagogue school. Did he know the Spirit before that? I don't know, but this is the questions, these are the questions I was asking as I put myself in the story. Okay? He gets baptized, dripping wet, is filled by the Holy Spirit, is led into the wilderness. The wilderness. We should, we should paint a picture of what the wilderness is like because it will really help us put ourselves in the story. The wilderness there was a 15-mile wide by 35-mile long stretch of land in between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. And in the Old Testament, this section of land is called a Jeshimon, which literally means the devastation. A guy by the name of Sir George Adam Smith traveled over this land, and here is how he described it. And I quote, It is an area of yellow sand and crumbling limestone, of scattered shingle, It is an area of distorted strata, where the ridges run in all directions as if they were warped and twisted. The hills are like dust heaps. The limestone is blistered and peeling. The rocks are bare and jagged, and often the very ground sounds hollow when the foot falls or the horse's hoof falls upon it. This land glows and shimmers with heat like some vast furnace. And it runs out to the Dead Sea, there dropping 1,200 feet in elevation, a drop of limestone, flint, marl, through crags and quarries and precipices down to the Dead Sea. Smith says, in that wilderness, Jesus could be more alone than any other place in Palestine. Sounds like a good place to hook your RV up to and go spend the weekend, right? It sounds to me like a place where if Jesus' clothes were truly dripping wet when he came up out of the water, it wasn't going to take him long to dry. The wilderness, immediately after his baptism, Jesus is filled with the, the Spirit of God who leads him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the word tempted in Greek literally means tested, so I'm going to use those two words interchangeably this morning. Jesus is being tested by the devil. Are we all on the same page? We have the mental picture of what's going on. We're, we're right with Jesus in the story, right? Okay, verse 2. 40, for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted and became very hungry. He became very hungry. Is that an understatement? You don't have to raise your hands, but a lot of you have experienced some fasting. It has been part of your spiritual discipline. I had to do a three-day fast when I was in seminary. Now, I did this fast while at a retreat center with a comfy bed and a bathtub I could fill up with warm water because at day one and a half of not eating, my body started shivering. So I spent the next day and a half in the tub with warm water. By the end of three days, I was very hungry. I ate a can and a half of Pringles on the drive home. I ate two burgers, a large salad, french fries, and dessert after that. Three-day fast, I was very hungry. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights without food. He was very, 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 come on, say it with me, very, very, very. He was hungry. Now, I love the fact that the text actually tells us that because it reminds us of his humanity. 
So oftentimes we can think of Jesus as strictly divine, as God, and, and we don't think, oh, 40 days of no eating, that's, that's no problem for God. But it tells us he was very hungry. He's fully human. Now, I also love the fact that it gives us a number, 40, because that gives us echoes of the Israelite people who wandered in the desert, in the wilderness, much like where Jesus is, for how long? 40 years. There's echoes in this story. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted and became very hungry. Verse 3. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. If, Jesus, if you are the Son of God. I know that my memory is not what it used to be, and I know that's the case for several of you. I won't point at you. Okay, It's hard enough to remember what was said last week, let alone breakfast this morning. But there are things that happen in our lives that get etched into, the, into our hearts that we do not forget. You know, things like weddings, things like a birth of a child, things like the death of a spouse, things like that, that final serve on the, on the fourth grade tetherball championship. Those get etched into our mind. The devil begins his tempting, his testing match, and he says, if you are the Son of God. Do you think Jesus would have forgot his baptism that quickly? I was baptized February 7th, 1998. I remember it. Uh, was it a good day? Yes. Was it like miraculous and heavens opened up? No, it wasn't. But for Jesus, the heavens opened up. The Spirit of God descended, landed on them like a dove, and God spoke. And said, you are my beloved son. You bring me great joy. Do you think Jesus would have forgot that? If you are the son of God, Satan says. If you are, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. There's the temptation. Feed yourself. Satan says, the shale rock, the stones that have been burning the bottoms of your feet and cutting your calves, turn those into bread. I told you at the beginning I'm not going to go all academic on you, okay? So I'm putting myself there in the story with 2,000 years of perspective and the entire New Testament in my mind. And as James, I'm thinking, that'd be no big deal for Jesus, Okay? He can feed 5,000 men and their wives and kids with five loaves of bread and two fish. He can feed 4,000 men and their wives and kids with seven loaves of bread and a few fish. In fact, he is so good that he can tell one of his disciples, you know what, go throw your fishing pole, your line into the lake, the first fish you get, pull it out, there's going to be a silver coin in its mouth, go and pay your temple tax and my temple tax. That's Matthew chapter 17. Fantastic story. Jesus has power over nature like this. He could very easily have turned the bread, the, the stones into bread. And if I'm honest with you, I found myself in the story saying, do it. Do it, Jesus. Not because I want him to fall. Not because I want him to fail, but because I don't like bullies. And Satan is picking on him at his weakest point. He's picking at him at his, at his hunger. So I'm sitting there saying, do it just to spite him. But Jesus didn't. Verse 4. 
Jesus told him, no. And I, I pictured his stomach growling right there. No. The scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I wonder if when Jesus said this, he was thinking forward to a conversation he was going to have with a, with a Samaritan woman at a well outside the village of Sychar. Because at that well, in that conversation, Jesus was also very, very hungry. And he was offered food but did not eat. John chapter 4, verse 31 to 34 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked each other? And then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Was Jesus thinking about finishing God's work when he told Satan, no, I won't do that miracle? Because there's something else in store. People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was referencing a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where God was calling his people to remember how he sustained them in the wilderness with manna. And in that passage, he tells them, look, you guys know that it's not by bread alone that you have been sustained. There is a greater power, and Jesus knew that power. And he knew where he could learn about that power and study that power. And thus, when he answered Satan, he quoted Scripture. He quoted Scripture. Jesus knew where his strength came from. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. If. You are the Son of God. It didn't work last time. Do you think it's going to work this time? Probably not so much. But jump off. 2,000 years of history, 2,000 years of a vantage point that we have, we know Jesus can control nature. He calmed a storm or two. He raised a few dead people from death back to life. He looked at a fig tree, said, you're no longer going to grow figs, and it stopped growing figs. Jumping off the temple and not being injured would be an easy miracle for Jesus to do. And again, I found myself in the story saying, do it, prove him wrong. But again, Jesus didn't. This time there's a twist in the story, though. Verse 6, Satan said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Brief rabbit trail for a second. As I read this passage, all 11 verses of it this week, several times, I pictured a tennis match, okay? So Satan serves, right? There's the first temptation. Jesus responds, serves back. Satan hits this backhand with some spin on it. He throws a twist. He says, wait, your Bible says, your scriptures say. And I found myself like, oh, oh, oh. what's Jesus going to do? That's Psalm 91. How do you counter that? Jesus didn't bite the bait. 
He didn't bite the bait. He is, his response to Satan's powerful shot was to quote Scripture in return. Verse 7. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, when the Israelites had tested God in the wilderness of Massah. God wasn't a big fan when they did that. Jesus knew that, therefore he wasn't going to test him again. You must not test the Lord your God. Verse 8 and 9. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Essentially, what the devil is saying here is this. Let's negotiate. Let's join forces and work together. You bow down to me, and I'll give you all of this, because currently I have domain over it. Compromise. Come to terms with me. Make this easier than the cross. Make this easier than the cross. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus says. Make this easier than the cross. I think that that ultimately is what Satan is saying because three years from this time, Jesus is going to be talking to his disciples. And he's going to tell them, look, in just a little bit, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get handed over to the authorities. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to get convicted. I'm going to get beaten. I'm going to get hung on a cross. And one of his disciples, bless his heart, we know who it is, Peter pulls him aside and says, "Ah, oh, oh, Lord. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Peter said, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Sound familiar? Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. Peter was saying there's got to be an easier way. Satan was saying, there's got to be an easier way. Why don't you take it? Bow to me. Let's, let's make this easy. Jesus' response, okay? Because we're seeing this match, right? Satan serves Jesus' response. Satan puts some backspin Jesus' response. Satan throws up this lob. How's Jesus going to respond? He responds with Scripture. Verse 10. Get out of here, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus told him. For the Scriptures say... You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This, of course, uh, of course, is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6, but it echoes back to the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 3. You must have no other God but me. Must have been quite the, the, the return. Because at that point, I think Satan realized, well, I'm done for now. I'll come back. And Jesus was tempted multiple times throughout the Gospels. It may not have been as blatant as this. But verse 11 tells us that then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Now my attempt this morning has been to put us into the story and help us feel, help us see, help us wrestle with what Jesus may have been going through and what we would have been going through as we sat and watched that. There's been some lighthearted. There's been some laughing. I, I tell you, though, as I was wrestling with this, as I was thinking about the exchange back and forth, very seriously, I started asking myself, would I respond in the same way Jesus did in those times of temptation? 
Would I have the same approach? Would you guys have the same approach? Because here's the fact. If we're seeking to follow Christ, Satan is going to tempt us. Satan is going to test us. And it's not just going to be a temptation of, okay, we're going to make them fall off the God wagon and sin. But as he's testing us, what he's doing is trying to get us off of the purpose God has for us. Be disciples, make disciples, love God, love others. That's the great commandment, the great commission. Satan is trying to get us off the purpose of being sons and daughters of a king. He's trying to get us off the purpose of passing on a faith to the next generation. We're going to be tempted. And Satan's going to attack us at our most vulnerable. It's oftentimes where we're the strongest. Jesus could have done any of the things that Satan was tempting him with. He had the power to do it. That's where he, it was his gift set. He could have done that, but he didn't. Oftentimes Satan will attack us where we are strongest because that also is where we're weakest. So my question is, are we prepared for those tests? Are we ready? Do we know Scripture well enough to be able to answer with Scripture? If the devil were to tempt us and say, you know what? Why don't you look at that scantily dressed person in the, in the movies or in the magazines? Would we be able to say, you know what, Satan? The Scriptures say that anyone who looks at a woman with lust in her eyes has committed adultery with her in his heart. Therefore, I will not do it. It's Matthew chapter 5. If the devil were to tempt us to find our worth in how we look or in how funny we are, would we be able to say, not Satan, the, the scriptures say, charm is deceitful and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be greatly praised. Therefore, I find my worth in God. That's Proverbs 31. When the devil puts doubts into our heart and our head about the fact that, well, you know what, are you even lovable? You do so much wrong. Why would anybody ever love you? How could God love you? Will we respond? You know what, Satan, the scriptures say, how precious are the Lord's thoughts about me. They are so great, I can't even count them. Therefore, I know I'm loved. When we're tempted to think highly of ourselves because we have a lot of zeros in our bank account, Will we be reminded of the scripture that says a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God? That's Luke chapter 12. There might come a time where Satan says to you, hey, you see that guy you just drove by on the street? He's obviously high on something other than the joy of the Lord. Okay? Or that person in school that you just, you know, you look down, you're better than them. When Satan comes at you with that, will you respond? You know what, Satan, the scriptures say, be humble thinking of others as better than yourself. That's Philippians chapter 2. When Satan tempts us to do anything, to say anything so that we can get praise and accolades and the applause of other people, will we be reminded of the scriptures that tell of the Pharisees that says they, were loved, they loved human praise more than the praise of God? John chapter 12, God, I choose your praise. When Satan tempts us to put our jobs, our families, our retirements, our hobbies, our toys, anything before God, will we be able to say, you know what, Satan, the scriptures say you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. 
I could keep going, but ultimately we've got to ask the question, will we know the Scripture enough to be able to say, the Scriptures say, and then by the blood of Jesus, get behind me, Satan. God has won this victory. Over the next 14 weeks, we're going to be spending time with Jesus. Our goal is to hear, see, taste, touch, feel what he would have. This morning, as I have put myself into the story, as I've hopefully drawn you guys into the story of him at his baptism and, and, and then his temptations, I've had to ask myself, would I respond like Jesus did? Do I know this book well enough to be able to respond with Scripture? Now hear me on this. You can't beat Satan on your own. It's the power of God. It's the power of the Spirit in you that is going to give you the strength to do that. But will you do your part to be ready? very easy way to do this is that little bookmark. I'm not saying that's going to solve everything, but this is one way we're going to journey with Jesus together towards the celebration of Easter. As you're spending time in Scripture, the more you're there, the more ready you will be for when the testing comes. This morning, we're going to take communion together.